Amen. You can have a seat once again. Honestly, didn't didn't really know if you were going to stand up or sit down or what was going to happen in that moment, but I love, I love the commitment and dedication of our people, and I love how much you want to see Jesus lifted high. If you're just walking in for the very first time, we are calling this season really more than a sermon series. It's a season as a church, even now. And these two words come out of a section of scripture in Joel chapter 2, where a prophet named Joel is pronouncing really, really, really intense judgment against the people of God for generations of sin that have occurred. And in the middle of saying all of these really difficult things to hear, out of nowhere, Joel drops this line, even now, declares the Lord, return to me, With all of your heart, rend your heart and not your garments. If you will return to me, I can reverse all that was just threatened and bless you instead. And you read this little section of scripture and you're like, it was bad, it was worse, it was worse, it was worse. And then all of a sudden it's like God turned around and said, even now, if your heart's available, the blessing is here. That's the gospel. That even when we were dead in our sins, Christ died for us. That even when it looked like all hope was lost, everything gets reversed. And I love those words, even now, because it's not just like now God has something for you. It's like even now God has something for you. Because every person within the sound of my voice carried a level of baggage from their past into this space. And so you don't need to just hear God say, hey, now I've got something for you. You kind of need to hear God say, even now, because it's like he knows about the thing. He knows about what you're carrying. He knows about what's in the background. And he goes, even with that, I've still got something for you. But your heart, your surrender, your worship is what is required in this moment. We're going to say this every week. Every day is a new opportunity to step into the life Jesus died for you to live. That every morning that you wake up is an even now morning where God invites you into the life that Jesus was dying to give you. And so a paradigm shift that has to happen for our people is we have to understand Jesus did not simply die and rise again so that we can go to heaven forever. Eternal life is on the table, but abundant life goes hand in hand with eternal life. And that abundant life that Jesus offers is available for you and for me right here and right now. But here's the thing. Jesus died to give you this new life, but you have to step into it. Faith is involved. Faith is part of the journey. And that step looks like being available in the now for God to move in your life in a powerful way. So if you come to our church for any amount of time, you will probably hear me say two things every single sermon that I preach. It's about dropping the shame from your past and letting go of your anxiety and worry about the future. Because what blocks so many of us from stepping into the life Jesus died for us to live in the here and now is that we got all this stuff that we're holding onto from what was and we got all this stuff that we're trying to grab onto that we want to be or we want to avoid in the future. And what happens is you compromise the present when you hold on to the shame of the past or the worry of the future. And so I want you to let go. I want you to let go of your need for control. I want you to let go of feeling like everything that you've done is too much for God. And even now, God has something for you. Could you look at the person next to you and say, even now? Even now. It's an even now moment for us in the church. And last week, we looked at Joel. 
We're going to be looking in the Old Testament every week of this series, which I love. You know the whole Bible's good, not just the second part. It's all good. And last week we talked about grace for your past. This week we're going to talk about purpose in the present. If you brought your Bible, hold it up. Hold it up. This is going to be beautiful. Hold it up. If you didn't bring it and you feel judged, you are. Um, just kidding. It's uh, No, hold it up high. Hold it up high. Guys, it's been a long time, okay? There have been breakups that have happened. There have been relational transitions. A lot of us who came from high school have arrived with a new level of freedom. Here's what I want you to do. If you would like to remove yourself from availability in this moment, whether that's because of marriage, engagement, a serious relationship, or awkwardness, put your Bible down. All the single people, leave your, Bible, you leave your Bibles up. Shame-free. Look around, guys. Look around. This is after-service hangouts, okay? This is beautiful. Turn with me to the book of Esther. The book of Esther. I knew that there were going to be females at Beard Eve's Coliseum who are excited to read the book of Esther. Esther chapter 4, it's about halfway through the Old Testament, which is misleading. Esther is actually one of the last books of the Old Testament if the Bible was organized chronologically. So a lot of people get confused when they read the Bible. They don't realize how it all fits together. The Bible's not organized from this is what happened in the beginning all the way up to the end. It's organized based on genre chronologically. So the beginning of your Bible is all historical narratives. And then it transitions into poetic song books. And then it transitions into the prophets. The last historical narrative of the Old Testament, this is 450 years before Jesus was born, is Esther. And Esther is actually not written by Esther herself. It's written by her cousin, Mordecai, who's really more like a father figure to her because Esther was an orphan. Lost her parents. We don't really know how. But she's got this guy, Mordecai, who's kind of served as a father for her. And her name actually was changed to Esther. Her original Hebrew Jewish name was Hadassah. And the reason why she changed her name was to hide her identity. This is a time on planet Earth where there was an empire called Persia that was ruling. Think movie 300, King Xerxes. He was the king during Esther. And King Xerxes takes a wife named Esther who he doesn't know that she's Jewish. He just knows that she's attractive. Be careful when that's your only weight of measurement, by the way. There's a lot you don't know. And so, well, but it's, it's important. I mean, you, you need to like to look at them and it is. like we, Too many times we're like, looks aren't important. I'm like, really? Because I have to see her every day, and I love seeing her. I love you, baby. Hey, my wife turned 30 this week. She turned 30. We're like officially adults now. It's like 30, and I turned 31 in a couple weeks, and two kids. Like, we can actually do this leading a church thing. It's crazy. Um, or at least we're allowed to. We have a license now. It's great. we got to pass. Okay, where am I? Esther. Okay, Persia's ruling. And Xerxes takes this woman, Esther, to be queen. Now, she has to pretty much break off contact with all of her Jewish family because she doesn't want it to be found out that she's Hebrew. People of God, chosen people of God. A lot of racism at the time could definitely hurt her position and her power. And so the Hebrew people end up getting put under a potential genocide by a man named Haman. I don't have time to go into all the details of this, but essentially what happens is King Xerxes gets tricked into signing an edict that gives the empire permission to wipe out the Jews. 
And Mordecai, Esther's father figure, finds out about it and sends word to Esther that, hey, our people are about to get wiped off the planet and you live with the king. You need to talk to the king about reversing his ruling about this. And in Esther chapter 4, verse 9, we're going to pick up this story. If you got your Bible and you love your Bible, let me hear you say, I love my Bible. If you're here and you don't have a Bible and it's not because you forgot it or it's in your car door or it's on your nightstand, if, if it's like, man, I don't have a Bible, you can give your name to the info table. We will Amazon Prime you a Jesus Bible that will be at your home or at your apartment by Tuesday late afternoon at the latest Wednesday morning. Amazon, thank you, Lord. By the way, that's not an invitation. If you're like, I'd love to have a Jesus Bible and I already have five, but I want that one. <laughs> There's people that have done that this summer. I am judging you. And so verse nine, here we go. We're trying to build a building, guys. Verse 9, here we go. Hathak, that's Esther's attendant, went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. He said, you need to go before the king. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, so we're playing a little telephone here, all the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law that they be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. Esther essentially says, I I would love to go before the king and ask him to spare our people, but there's a rule that you don't go before Xerxes unless you are invited, and if you're not invited, and she's probably seen firsthand, if you're not invited, you die. The only way you don't die instantly is if he lifts a gold scepter and has mercy on you and brings you into his presence. So I would love to go before him and beg for our people. I would love to do what you're saying, but that's not possible because he hasn't asked for me in 30 days. Watch what he says back, verse 12. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, come on Bible experts, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. This is the memory verse from Esther, guys. Mordecai says, don't think that you're going to be able to abdicate your responsibility in this. This isn't going to end with you not playing a part. This is going to end poorly in one of two ways. Either you jump in and do what God's called you to do or God's going to remove you. But at the end of the day, don't you think it's not an accident that you're in the position that you're in? Like, Don't you think it's crazy that God has you living with the king? You've been put where you are for such a time as this. ACC, look at me right now. I believe you are sitting right where you are sitting for such a time as this. I believe that this moment has a power and a weight to it. And if you are willing to put aside the past and you are willing to let go of the future, I believe in this time, in this moment, in whatever role and responsibility God has you in on planet Earth, there is a supernatural awakening that's going to happen today. We'll finish it. Verse 15, then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. So only a few days, guys, not an entire month. Our, our church did a month of prayer and fasting in June, and it was crazy, and it was awesome. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's 
instructions. She gets to the point where she goes, okay, whatever Mordecai said worked. I'm going to step into this moment. First, I need you guys to fast, and I'm going to fast and pray because I don't want to go before the king without knowing that we've at least gone before the Lord about it. And I don't have time to go into all the details of how the story unfolds. It's really cool. You can read it for yourself this week. But Esther does go before the king, and it works. He lifts the gold scepter. He provides mercy through some crazy circumstances. Not only does God save the Jews, but eliminates all their enemies in the process who are in the upper offices of Persia. How many of you know that God doesn't just want to do what you're asking of him? He wants to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. And he blows away expectations And this story goes down in history as arguably the most epic moment for a female in the Old Testament participating in the story of God. Now here's what I know. This moment usually consists of a story from the Bible that hopefully inspires you, but there's always a little bit of a disconnect. And that disconnect is that we read stories about the heroes of our faith and we feel like they had some sort of knowledge and some sort of advantage that we did not have. Hello, they're in the Bible. And so you're like, that's great. Esther, even now, like saw that she had a moment that she could step into and she stepped into the fullness of her purpose and saved her people. This is a huge moment in the history of God's people. But... I think we fail to understand that if God would have told Esther at any point before this moment the weight that she was carrying on her calling and how much it was going to cost her to live out her faith, she would have been dumbfounded by how much God wanted to do in and through her life and freaked out by how much it was going to cost And while you and I might look at her and separate her from the way we live on a daily basis, I want to tell you that every single person that God ever used in a mighty way would have been shocked if they were originally aware of what God was thinking. ACC, do not miss this moment. I believe the potential of what God could do through an available life is absolutely off the charts. I believe if God somehow was able to whisper in your ear a few of the thoughts that he had about what he could do in and through your life, you probably couldn't let him finish the sentence because it would scare you so much. It would scare you the level of amazing, awesome purpose that he has, but it would also scare you on a level of some of the spaces that he's going to call you to moving forward. And in this moment, I I feel such a level of weight because I know that the truth about that for one of you could shake nations for the glory of God. One person. If it is one person today that goes, I want what God has for my life instead of what I could do with my life, the weight of what God could do through that life is off the charts. Now here's what I want you to do. Look around. Physically, look around in this moment. I want you to try, and there's people on the third level. Hello, yellow shirts in section three. Can y'all make noise? I want to see if we can even hear you. Uh, You're loud enough because you're wearing yellow. That's awesome. How many of you want a yellow shirt? Like, I don't know, maybe a different color. It sort of looks like mustard. Um, Sign up to serve on a team, and you can have one. If you look around in this moment, this is what I'm dreaming about. What if, like a lot of us, caught that there is no limit to what the God of the universe can do through our lives if we make ourselves available? And there was this faith family and community that came together in 2019 in Auburn, Alabama, 
and thousands of people got serious about the weight that is on the call of God for their life. See, too many times we limit God's grace to the forgiveness of our sins in the past, but we don't give him credit for the grace that empowers us in the present. And God has more than just a cancellation effect on the baggage that you're carrying. He has a purpose effect on every space and place and person that you come into contact with right now. But I just want to be honest with you. If you're a little bit excited right now and you're going, man, what would it look like if all of us came together and said yes to the call of God on our lives? Well, I need to kind of bring you down to reality for a second and tell you that most people, if we were to percentage it, I would say 95 to 99 percent of people never, never actually truly step into the fullness of the life Jesus died for them to live. Most people never taste the day where the potential of what God could have done comes out in the reality of what they're walking in. Most of the time because they're not paying attention to how the kingdom of God works. We try to scale the greatness of what God is doing by the world standards instead of noticing that wherever the spirit of God does a resurrection move, the power of God goes out in a way that has the potential, like I said, to shake nations. But we've got to get to a place like Esther where we realize we can't have it both ways anymore. Did you notice in the conversation with Mordecai, he's like, no, no, no. You're not sitting this one out. Like, you're not, you're not gonna eat the king's food and sit in the comfort of the palace while our people are dying left and right and you think you're gonna make it through this and everything's gonna be poor for them. That's not the way this is going to play out. See. There's a moment in the life of every believer where they realize Jesus is the son of God and they give, them, they give him their life and they say, I, I want to follow you. But there's also this moment for people who step into the fullness of life that Jesus died for them to live. There's this moment where they go, I can't have it both ways. And I want him more than I want that. And I want what he has for me more than I want to straddle the line in the middle. I want him more than I want to play this game of one foot in and one foot out. If you need to know, like, what do you mean I can't have it both ways? Here's the line that I believe happened for Esther, and we're going to look at a couple of things on the screen right now. These are my three points, by the way, so we're, we're moving in a hurry. I believe that Esther had to straddle the line between comfort and calling, just like you and I do. And she, had to, she had to totally decide which one do I want because I can't have both. I can have the comfort that comes to my senses and the comfort that comes to my daily life here as queen, or I can have the call of God for my life, which is the purpose I have been given this position for. ACC, if you want all of the life Jesus has for you, it's going to involve a moment where you come to understand, I cannot have both sides. I have to do one or the other. What's the other one? It's fear of faith. Fear of faith. Esther thinks she's been delivered from the slavery of being a Jew in the civilization called Persia. But how many of you know you can be a free person on the outside but be enslaved on the inside as long as fear is the ruling factor? Too many of you are ruled today by fear and anxiety and a sense of angst about what it would look like to give God everything. And I'm not saying that fear is ever absent from the life of a Christian, but I'm saying you cannot have it both ways where you spend the rest of your life trying to play to your fears and trying to say yes by faith. Eventually, you gotta have this moment where you go, it's now, it's right here and right now. I am going to step in by faith to everything that God has for me. 
And the last one, the hardest one of all, is the choice between self and others. So you don't realize it, but when you choose Jesus over the life that the world has for you, you're also choosing to live your life for other people instead of yourself. And it's the only fulfilling way to live. Best book I've read this year is a little pamphlet called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness by Tim Keller. Oh my gosh, y'all. If you're like enslaved by your own thoughts about yourself, brilliant. Out of the scripture shows us that Jesus did not have in mind a higher level of self-esteem for every believer. He had in mind self-forgetfulness. When you leave behind yourself, that is the only way to truly experience internal fullness. The freedom that comes when you go, my life does not exist for me anymore. This is bigger than me. This is, this is more than me getting my tension resolved. And when you get a person who decides, I want my calling more than I want comfort. I'm going to live by faith more than I'm going to back down because of fear. And I want my life to be an offering, a living sacrifice for the benefit of others more than I want to have my personal tension resolved. When you get a Christian who thinks and talks and worships like that, you get a dangerous, holy weapon in the hand of God. And I just want to speak potential into your life because you may have come to church today and thought, well, maybe I'll decide to give Jesus my sins. And I believe what Jesus wants more than your stuff from your past is yourself in the present. It's this moment right here and right now. And you can't have it both ways. And so here's what I was going to do. I was going to do this really intense moment where I put you in Esther's shoes where it's like, well, you got an entire genocide coming to a nation that hinges upon whether or not you say yes to the call of God for your life. And then I was going to compare that to us because you're like, I don't, I don't have a nation I'm in charge of leading that I could change. Like, I don't know what you're talking about, this crazy weight. No, no, no. There's a higher weight to your life because we're not the people of God, Israel, in the Old Testament. We are the new Israel in the New Testament, sons and daughters of God. And there's a world lost, dark, and broken, headed for hell all around us, that God has entrusted us with the greatest news in all of the universe to get to them. And so I was going to tell you that the weight that hangs in the balance on your life is the eternal souls of billions of people. Wouldn't that feel good? You're like, no, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I want that at all. By the way, at ACC, we mention hell a lot because it's a big deal. Don't really mind if this is not the church for you, but please don't say yes to being a part of a church that never mentions the fact that eternally people will be separated from God if the hope of Jesus doesn't get to them. we got to get serious about this. Hell is a big deal because sin is a big deal. So when you hear that and you go, oh, I don't like talking about that. Why you got to bring that up? Like people don't like hearing about that. Hell is the reason why Jesus had to go through hell to save us. It's about the price that he paid, and it's about the value that you have, and it's about the calling that you have. And so I was going to say, no, you don't have a nation that might die, but we got a dying, broken world all around us that hangs in the balance. And then I was going to make you feel all the pressure in the world, just like Esther felt. But then I read the text. This is the part that blew my mind. If you don't hear anything else I say, you need to pay attention right now. This is the part that blew my mind, because I grew up in a Southern Baptist church going to vacation Bible school. I knew the story of Esther. I knew her name was Hadassah. Some of the females in the room, you're like, that's my group text with my community group, Esther girls. Like, like this, is, this is the story of the Old Testament for a female. This is the one. I knew the story. But I thought, I thought Mordecai reached out to her and said, hey, if you don't go before the king for such a time as this, we're all going to die. And then I read it, and I was like, oh, my gosh. That's not what he said at all. 
if you don't hear anything else, you need to watch this. Esther chapter 4, verse 14. We'll read this again. Look at what he said. For if you remain silent at this time, now check out this. Relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish, and who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Do you see it? See, I always thought he was pressuring her. Like, if you don't do this, we're going to die. But he says, if you don't do this, God's still going to do what God does. The Jews are still going to be saved. The people of God are not going to be destroyed. You're going to be destroyed because you just stepped out of the very reason God put you in this position. You need to know today that the weight of your purpose for your life is on your story, not on God's glory. God, here's what I mean. God's going to get glory. God's going to fill heaven with every person who from the beginning of time was intended to be in heaven. He's going to do that with you. He's going to do that without you. Jesus being the beautiful name, the powerful name, the name above all names. You know, every tongue will confess. Every knee will bow. The story begins, continues, and ends like this. Jesus wins. And this is so great. Nothing you and I ever do will change any of that at all. So the weight in this moment is not me trying to pressure you and go, don't you want to step into all that God has for you? It's me trying to shift the weight to go, you could miss out on the one reason why you have breath in your lungs today. And God's still going to do what God's going to do. The weight is on your story. God's going to get his glory. The invitation is, God's, God said, I don't just want to give you grace to save you from sin and death and hell. I want to give you grace to make sure your life matters. To make sure you don't waste this. And if you don't do it, I'll find somebody else. But I want it to be you. I had somebody come into my office randomly. I'd never met the guy. He freaked me out. I don't know where he found my office. He's like, I got a word from God for you. And whenever anybody says that, I immediately kind of shut down. I just want to be honest with you. I'm like, oh, you do? My name's Miles. Um, nice to meet you. And he goes, I don't go to your church, and I'm not going to. I'm like, that's a good start. Um, and he goes, I, be I believe that the Lord says, the Lord says that he has established you to lead this area. Whether you want to call that Auburn, whether you want to call that Lee County, whether you want to call it the Southeast. It's as big as your faith wants to be, Miles, but God has called you. But he also says, if you don't want it, he'll find somebody else. Have a nice day. And he walked out of my office. It's great being a pastor. Um, but the, the weight that hit me was, oh, wow, God's got this amazing purpose for my life. It's awesome. But the last part, he'll find somebody else. ACC, look at me and do not miss this. The worst tragedy that could happen to your life is that you waste the God-given potential that exists on the inside of you. That's the worst tragedy. And if you're, most of you, not called to go into ministry, not called to preach in front of crowds, it is not about that. Maybe not called to lead nations in political positions of power. It is not about scale. It's about availability. But I think too many times when we talk about tragedy, we immediately equate tragedy with pain instead of equating tragedy with wastefulness. Is what I mean. The stories that, you, that you're going to read in the news today that are tragic are all going to have to do with unfair pain. You read about a shooting. You read about something that happens that, that was totally wrong. We re, I feel like we read about these things every day, and it's so hard to live in the world that we live in because every time we look at a new one, it's like, oh, my gosh, the pain of this world is just so great. This is so hard. It's such a tragedy. And not just the stuff that's happening in this world, stuff that's happening in your life. 
There's a girl within the sound of my voice right now. Her dad was diagnosed with cancer last week. There's a girl who came to our church that very first gathering five years ago who lost her dad on Friday. There are people in our church fighting through divorce, fighting through abuse, fighting through stuff that happened in their childhood that they thought they forgot about, that they thought they buried, and now it's wreaking havoc on them right now. That is tragic, and that is painful. But you need to know today that the most tragic stories that happen in our world and the most tragic stories in front of me right now don't have to do with unfair pain. They have to do with people that never lived out the purpose for which they exist. So you'll never read on the front of a newspaper, 96-year-old dies without ever taking one meaningful breath. Tragedy. You won't read on your phone, couple that's been married for 20 years still won't have intentional conversation, wasting their marriage. Partly you won't read that because it was really long, but <laughs> you get what I'm saying. You won't read college student builds life on sand. And those are the most tragic stories that exist in our midst right now. Why do you say that? Because pain's always going to be present. Every person within the sound of my voice is going to encounter pain. We live in a broken world. But purpose is optional. And here's, here's the message God called me to give you today. If you want to write it down, you can. I believe God's going to use this in a powerful way. A tragic life is not a life full of pain. A tragic life is a life void of meaning. A tragic life is not a life full of pain. A tragic life is a life void of meaning. The worst thing that could happen to Esther is not that the king decides to kill her when she walks into his presence. The worst thing that could happen to Esther is that she sits out on the reason why God created her. That's the tragedy. Did you notice Mordecai shifted the weight? He shifted the weight from you need to be freaked out because you might die to you need to be freaked out because you might not live by faith. See, we got to take fear and put it in its proper place. I want you to be more afraid of missing out on God's call for your life than you are afraid of what it will cost you to step into all God has for you. I want you to wake up in the morning freaked out that there might be a life available to you that you're not accessing, that there might be a person available to you that you're not reaching, that there might be a level in the kingdom of God that God wants you to rise up to, and you might sit on your hands for your own comfort and yourself. The tragedy of life is not a life of pain. The tragedy of life is a life that is meaningless, and this is why. This is why Jesus loves you so much, that everything about the pre-knowing Jesus is all about love and grace and forgiveness for your sins, and then you start following Jesus, and what does he do? What does he do? He keeps taking you out of your comfort zone. He keeps rocking your world with circumstances that you didn't see coming. He keeps taking you to moments and situations where you're like, okay, before I was following you, all I heard was like, you're the good shepherd and you're savior and you want to love me and, and you give me a right relationship with my heavenly father and it's all lovey-dovey and it's like awesome. But then I start following you and there's pain and then I start following you and you keep leading me to these broken people and you keep leading me to these broken places and you're like... I. I thought you were doing this because you love me. It's because Jesus knows the most loving thing he can do for you is not let you settle for the life that you, you would settle for if it was only up to you. That's the most loving thing Jesus can do for you and for me. So you're in, 
And he keeps walking you to spaces and places that you go, man, this is stretching me. And man, this is a lot. And I don't think I can handle this. And it's because he loves you so much that he knows it would be empty. It would be little. It would be menial for you to just taste forgiveness and never taste the fullness for why you exist. Telling a lost, dark, and broken world there's forgiveness available in Jesus. My life exists for him. And I believe pain creates a megaphone for that purpose to become real to the world. See, when you go through pain, when you go through a miscarriage, when you go through brokenness, when you go through divorce, when your family is so tense, I believe that puts a megaphone up to your life. And now the name of Jesus isn't just something you say, but something that is real to everyone else around you because they know there is no way they would be facing what they are facing and facing it like that if God wasn't real. Us praising God in the midst of pain is the proof of God to the world. And so what I want you to feel today is the overwhelming weight of what it might look like, and I'm always spitting on my mic, and I'm sorry, of what it might look like for you to step into all that God has for you. I'm not going to lie to you in this moment. There's a lot at stake right here and right now. We want you to keep tracking. We want you to keep coming back. We want you to live life in community in this church, but I believe there's a weight to this moment right here. My wife and I were at dinner with some friends last night, and out of nowhere, not really talking about many things spiritual, just having a good conversation, a man looks at me, and tears are welling up in his eyes. Now, that part of that could have been because he went to the University of Alabama, um, and it's just not good, and he's sorry for missing out on God's will for his life. But he's talking about our church. Now, they live two hours away, but they're definitely going to end up back here because they want to be a part of this community. You know, people are like moving from far away to be a part of this church. I think that's cool. And he says, I just want every young person and every older person at ACC to know that it's empty. And he can barely talk because he's getting so mad. And he's like, yeah, he's like, yeah, I went to college and tasted all that the world had to offer me, but I'm not even talking about the drinking and the sex and the parties and whatever. He's like, I'm, I'm talking about I got the degree and I got the job and I got the money. There's nothing there. And he says, I just want to look in their eyes and shake them and say, it's empty. You're being lied to. Jesus is better. He really is better. And I believe that when you start to taste the fullness that Jesus has for your life in whatever season that you're in right now, you'll start to live your life with a level of purpose that will far outweigh any other option for your life. So I'm not trying to pressure you. I'm not trying to say, hey, become like these people that worship with their hands up and give money and do all this stuff. No, it's not about practice. It's about your heart. I'm, I want to invite you to take a look at the tragedy that your life could become if you miss out on the story of God. God has not only decided to elevate the name of Jesus above all names, but he's decided to include our breaths in making his name known. Come on, what else could we do with our lives? So, can I put this on the table for you? You got a choice to make. And the only thing that I can say to close this time that we have together is it is going to cost you more than you ever thought you would want to pay. 
but you're going to receive more by going with calling, going with a life lived for others, and going with faith over fear. Why? Because Jesus is over here. He's the prize. The, the prize of living out your purpose on this planet is not the accolade or attention or approval that you get in the world. The prize is well done, good and faithful servant. And so you need to know today, we're calling you to something big this year. Year six at Auburn Community Church, we're believing God has more in year six than he did in all of one through five combined. But it's gonna take people who have come to a place where they say, you know what? I want what Jesus has for my life more than I want what this world has to offer. And I know it's gonna cost a lot, but if the worst tragedy I could step into is the tragedy of wasting my life, count me in on lifting up the name of Jesus. You can put your Bibles away. Will you stand up all over this space? I believe that you need to stop living in the place called undecided that we need to get to the space where a decision has been made. And Esther, at the end of that passage, said, if I perish, I perish. That sounds a lot like the Apostle Paul, who said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Jesus is not just better than any other option for your life. He's better by far. And if you believe that in this space, we're gonna sing a song that basically summarizes the gospel, but more than we're gonna sing a song, our church is called to be a song. And we want you to attend as many gatherings as you want to attend, but so much more than we want you to just sit where you sit and stand where you stand. We want you to step into the life that's right in front of you today. And no, you're not Esther, you're you. And if you would allow the God of the universe to become the only purpose for which you exist, the kingdom of God to become what you have laid down your life to serve in, you're going to have internal fullness, and you're going to have meaning, and you're going to have purpose. It's on the table. It's up to you. Will you close your eyes all over this space? If you're here and you say, I'm there. If I perish, I perish. I'm in. I don't care if you've called on the name of Jesus a hundred times before in your life or this is your very first time, if you're at that place where you would go, Miles, I don't want to settle. I want the fullness of the life Jesus died for me to live. I just want us to have a moment as a church to commit to that together. Would you just lift up a hand, maybe both hands right where you are right now? I want to pray for you. If you're not there, that's okay. But I want you to take a physical step into this spiritual reality. God, you see these hands. You know what's at stake with whether or not we allow you to become our everything in this moment. So take your people, God. Remind them that you are the one who's in control of their story, God. But I pray that the weight of this message would go out, that we would taste what it would look like to waste our lives, and we would want to spit that bitterness out of our mouth and step into the fullness for which we were created. Jesus, you're so much better. I thank you that you died to save us, but I thank you that you're alive today and your spirit lives on the inside of us to fill us with the fullness of life right here and right now. We sing to you, God. Take the praise that you're worthy of in this space. In Jesus' name, amen.